0: Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed.
1: Hello, 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 and welcome back to another week of Don't Box Me In. I am your host, Lana Reed. You know, many times on this show, I get to sit down and talk with people who have an inner strength that. I just don't think I could muster up uh, plenty of times as I listen to some of my guests talk. I think to myself, if that had been me, I don't think I would have made it through. My guest today is another one of these unique type people. Karen Kane is the parent of a medically fragile, vaccine injured child named Lauren. Karen teaches parents how to enjoy their child, their children, no matter what their abilities are. Karen is the author of the book. A unique life fully lived and she says her mission is to share her mother and daughter life story in hopes that it will support other children and their families who are living a unique life experience it is with pleasure that I welcome Karen to the show today Karen welcome to don't box me in
2: hi thank you so much I'm really excited to chat with you today
1: I'm excited to have you here, excited to have you here. Now, um, Karen, first of all, I want to commend you on your inner strength. Like I said uh, in the opening, I just, you know, sometimes I listen to people and I say, wow, I don't I don't think I could have done what they did. So first of all, just my hat's off to you. I mean, it's just simply amazing. Um, but your first memories of Lauren, you know, when you brought her home from the hospital before the vaccines and everything, wh- wh- what were your first memories of Lauren?
2: Um, well... I don't know for me all I ever wanted to do was to be a mom and a wife so I think it was the happiest time ever I mean I was elated I was proud I felt just that you know I finally did the right thing and just I mean I just felt like that's kind of what I came here to do was to be a mom and of course I you know fell madly in love with her and just you know every parent knows that your whole world changes when Mm -hmm become a parent and it's just it's a magical and beautiful thing
1: it is it is from one mother to another it is i mean nothing like motherhood and the co- the connection and the bond that you share with your children is, is lauren your only child
2: she she yeah she was and um so yeah she was it. and we kind of agreed that we were only going to have one child at the time but um and you know yeah, it just yeah, it is what it is. Of course, I wanted more children, but um, you know, I'm surrounded by children, and um, yeah, and it was you know, she just was a great teacher. She came in and shook my life up and changed everything that I thought I knew. And um, it's interesting when you said you don't know what you would do. For me, um, after Lauren's injury, I had met a friend, and she was in a wheelchair, and I told her, I said. I don't know if I could do what you're doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And she said, well, you just don't know that, do you? And <laughs> and it's just the way it is with life. I mean, I never pla- I never wanted to be a parent of a child who was vaccine injured or just, you know, just disabled or, or, or you know, imperfect. Of course, I think we all have hopes when we have children that, we'll, you know, we have a dream, we have a fantasy about what it's going to look like.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: that was definitely changed, but... I believe that we had a soul and an inner connection and I was just driven to do what I did with Lauren. It wasn't like I had a choice. I mean, I just knew I had to do what I had to do and it was our soul connection.
1: It's wonderful how she touched your life. Now, um, like most new parents, we all fall into this routine. You know, you you know, you as a dutiful parent, you took Lauren to the hospital for her standard vaccinations um, at six weeks, and that's when life for the two of you began to change. Can you share what happened then?
2: Um, well, I took her in to the pediatrician, and I of course everything you know everything I did as a parent. I mean, we researched the stroller, we researched the car seat, I researched mm-hmm. the pediatrician. I mean, I you know just did everything I could to make sure that I would have, um, a healthy baby. And I did what I thought was right. And took her in and she had a DPT vaccine and she fell fast asleep. The doctor told me to take her, you know, and I took her home and she told me to give her Tylenol, um, afterwards. And I did. And about two hours after the vaccine, Lauren woke up screaming and shaking. Mm. She was having a, a seizure, uh, grandma seizure. Her legs were shaking, her arms were shaking, her eyes were blinking, and she was screaming, and that went on for five minutes, which mm-hmm. is a real long time, and I took her back to the doctor's office, and two hours later, because I had to wait for the doctor, because the doctor was out to lunch, the doctor took me in first, and she had another seizure in front mm-hmm. of the doctor, and it was a five-minute long seizure, and I just started screaming at the doctor to tell, you know, make it stop, mm-hmm. and I you know, and then she told me it was a seizure and she told me to go to the hospital. And on that day, my life changed forever. Lauren had seizures um, almost every day for the rest of her life, often lasting for five minutes, sometimes lasting for an hour. Um, And all of my parenthood
0: dreams Mm -hmm.
2: changed and they became filled with 911 calls and EEGs and MRIs and then hospital stays, blood draws. And when the brain doesn't work, the body doesn't work, so, um, and Lauren had severe brain damage from the vaccine and mm. so never walked and never talked. She lived in, you know, she spent her life, you know, and she was in a wheelchair. She was called a quadriplegic. Um, she had a feeding tube, um, because she couldn't eat and breathe at the same time. And she ended up breathing out of a hole in her neck called a tracheostomy. Mm. And it didn't happen overnight. It was kind of one thing led to another, led to another. And, um, And my whole parent experience just changed and Lauren became, you know, I was scared of her for a while, but
0: I watched
2: her. She was so strong and I started learning from everything she came here to teach me about.
1: Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. Now, what you just pointed out, and I guess I just wasn't aware, uh, Lauren's reaction to the vaccine was kind of immediate it wasn't something like you took her home and like a week later you noticed something you immediately saw where it had affected her correct i mean it was right. just okay right.
2: and this is really important that we teach parents what to look for because mm-hmm. um had i not been in the room and seen that seizure or had i not seen that happen i don't know what would have happened but um parents you know were taught that, oh, it's okay if the baby falls asleep, or, you know, I was mm-hmm. told that features are okay. Sometimes babies have that, and, you know, but it, it's it's very serious thing, and if you're not into the medical community, you don't know, you know, the arching of the back and the rolling of the eyes. These are mm-hmm. all serious complications that happen after vaccines, but it's a, you know, it's part of why I share my story because parents need to know what to look for, and we really should be Teaching parents more on the side effects so we can get help immediately. And yeah. um, with the MMR, the, the the worst case reaction typically happens nine days later, and so oh. it's very complicated. And it's something that, of course, people don't talk about. Um,
1: oh enough. yeah, yeah. I mean, because like I said, I think a lot of us, a lot of us new parents, you know, you just assume a lot of times that the whole vaccination process is completely safe and you're doing something, you know, in the benefit of your child. But, you know, as you and Lauren's uh, story shows us that that's not always the case. Um, So you you go back to the hospital. I just want to go back to this, the whole vaccination. You go back to the hospital within two hours, you know, you're seeing a doctor, so at that point in time, is, is that when they tell you that she had a, a negative reaction to the vaccination, or did they still have to kind of figure it out?
2: Actually, nobody ever told me that. Okay. Um, the whole vaccination thing is such a can of worms. No doctor ever um, talked about vaccine injury. I heard that sometimes babies have, you know, seizures.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: it, immediately when we went back to the hospital, you know, we did a CT. We did all these tests, blood work. We did um, all kinds of test on Lauren to see what was wrong and when they couldn't find anything we waited for three days and then we went home it wasn't until she was three months old that I got my first diagnosis basically um, which was really ugly and inappropriate I won't repeat but the doctor just said um, well basically the doctor just looked at me we were in the hospital for nine days because Lauren had nine five minute grandma seizures in one day Mm. so I took her back and she was just three three months old and um, of course I was just desperately afraid you know obviously something was seriously wrong she was not you know focusing anymore she wasn't looking she wasn't using her hands and the after seven days of being in the hospital the doctor just looked at me and he said ma'am your baby's retarded oh my yeah and i it just sucked the life out of me because at that point i thought that i was in the hospital to fix her yeah. Everyone kept coming up and thinking, oh, we're going to find out what's wrong with her because nobody would talk about her being vaccine injured. Um, no doctor ever really talked about that. We kind of found that on our own. Mm-hmm. We ran into a disease specialist, um, Dr. David Ling, um, who's an amazing man, and his wife, Mary Joling. Um, and he told me, he said, this looks like a typical vaccine injury. And so on our own, we got in touch with the courts, and we, you know, had an attorney, and we, um, we found out more about the vaccine court because nobody told us that. And I looked up Lauren's vaccine with VAERS and the vaccine adverse events reaction, um, and the woman told me she was supposed to charge me for this information, and she said, I'm going to send this to you for free. She said, your daughter had a hot lot. There were 10 surrounding deaths with the vaccine. Mm daughter had and 30 kids um, had seizures the worst that were reported and um, they basically say that only two percent of vaccine injuries are reported Um, and of course that scared me and we just kind of kept doing everything we could with Lauren medically and spiritually and emotionally and physically and then we also started the vaccine compensation program which um, Lauren was very unique in the fact that they immediately came back and said, yes, your daughter is vaccine injured, and that's controlled by the CDC, and the government controls vaccine injuries, because what they do is they protect the drug companies and the doctors. So if when we sue, if you're vaccine injured, basically you have to sue the government, HHS, Home Health Services and they protect the drug companies. So the drug companies um, do not have to make safe vaccines. They can still sell the vaccine that Lauren had. Um, You don't sue them. You cannot sue them. They have no um, liability for making vaccines that harm people, and they get all the benefit. And they don't pay for the compensation program. The compensation program is taxed on your vaccine dollars. So it's um, it's a really complex and an ugly place to be when you're vaccine injured because um, we were bullied, um, parents are still being bullied, and um, they wanted Lauren to die. They, Even though they immediately agreed that she was vaccine injured, they did um, everything they could do to um, put off the settlement. And um, the book talks a lot about, you know, the vaccine experience and vaccine court. They basically wanted us to go away. And mm-hmm. I learned very quickly that she was not of any value and I wasn't either for just being her mother. Um, and so that's a big part of why, you know, I have a voice for families because, our, you know, families like mine, when immediately they say, yes, you're vaccine injured, my daughter should have been treated like a hero. But mm-hmm. they, they wanted her to go away and they waited because she was so sick she was supposed to die. So they kept putting off the um, compensation program to us. It was very ugly, desperate, desperate time. <laughs> I was, you know, in very much a dark night of the soul going through this. And on top of that, my baby was really, really sick.
1: Yeah, I, I just have to say the whole combination, everything, here it is, you're 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 trying to, you know, be the best you can um, physically and emotionally for a child who needs you. And you're trying to fight this battle with her. And clearly, you know, this larger-than-life entity, the government, knows that they were wrong. But, you know, to still, you know, say for this very small percentage of the population that we messed up on, like you said, it was thirty or this this lots of vaccinations, you know, thirty kids and, and the death. You know, you think it would be easy for them to say, Okay, okay, we made a mistake, we're gonna admit it, we're gonna compensate you guys because in the bigger picture of things, you know, it's just a small dent in who we are to this uh, thing. But to continue to make you guys suffer when you're already suffering, um says a lot about uh the people that we feel are in place to protect us.
2: Absolutely, and that's it it's haunting and the children that are vaccine injured now i mean that was in 94 and i was very isolated alone there was no internet and now with the internet i mean i i hear you know weekly if not daily from families that are vaccine injured i mean i i talked to a man last week and he said that his daughter had six vaccines he said she doesn't sleep anymore she doesn't look at me anymore she doesn't eat right anymore he said she's not the same baby and mm-hmm. I hear this over and over and it's, you know, it's it's why I I share my story because I don't want our children to be sick. And right now um, in the United States, one in two of our children has chronic illness. So that's half of our children have seizures or asthma or diabetes, um, um, autism. One in 68 children has autism and that is a very low figure. It's way higher than that. Our children are chronically ill in this country and we have a one of the highest infant mortality rates. Um, and so people really need to educate themselves about what they're putting into their children. You know, vaccinations. You know, people don't know that there's abortive fetal tissue. They don't know that there's formaldehyde. It's
0: mm-hmm. mercury and
2: poison, and all of this we're putting into our babies before we're putting, you know, giving them applesauce. I mean, this That's baby true. had six vaccines, but they can't eat a banana because, you know, they might not tolerate it. Um, and it's pretty mad. It makes it... It's madness. And, you know, and the pharmacy companies are making money off keeping our kids sick. And it's a very scary thing what's happening to our country and our community in 20 years from now and 5 or 10 years from now. You know, when we have 1 in 68 children having autism, you know, that it's going to affect us all. It's already affecting us all, but some people still apparently have blinders on. And
1: big yeah, you don't. You don't you don't want to pay attention to the numbers. You want to assume that it's not you. You want to just you know think this world is all rainbows and wonderful things when it's not. Um, so it's it's very valid point that people need to kind of take it uh, pay attention to. And Karen, right now we're going to take our first break of the day. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In.
2: Here's your host, Lana Reed.
1: Hello, hello, hello. Here we are back with Karen Kane today. She is the mother of a vaccine injured child, a beautiful child, a beautiful spirit named Lauren. And she is also the author of the book, A Unique Life Fully Lived. And before the break, we were talking about the struggles of getting the medical profession, um, the government to really admit that there are some problems with Um, some of the vaccines. So I'm curious if you're in the beginning when Lauren starts to go through this and you have the the medical profession, the doctors kind of not really wanting to diagnose her problem as that, what kind of um, treatment plans are they putting Lauren on um, if they don't want to admit that that's the reason she's sick?
2: Well, (laughs) I know it's kind of crazy, isn't it? Um, What, One of the things that probably should have done right away was we should have probably put her on steroids right away. Mm -hmm. Um, We ended up doing that. We found Dr. John Minkies, who um, wrote the books that the the neurologists were studying out of, and he was at UCLA when we found him. And then he went to Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles or Beverly Hills, and he became our neurologist. And he started getting really um, experimental with treating for her because – a lot of, you know, a great question. A lot of the treatments are medical treatments because a lot of times what happens and it's still happening is that the doctors blame the baby. Oh, something's wrong with your child. Something's wrong with the child. Instead of looking at the fact that the child had a reaction to a vaccine and treating it medically. Mm-hmm. So a lot of time, especially back in 94 was spent treating, you know, basically all they could do was prescribe medications. Mm-hmm. So for me, as her mother, um, Lauren kept taking one seizure medication and then another and then another. And during her lifetime, she was on sometimes seven seven medications at one time. And that's just mm-hmm. seizure medications. She was on four nebulizer medications for her um, breathing treatment. But Dr. Minkies, he started getting really creative. And so um, we saw that Lauren was low in her IgG levels, which is very typical for someone who's had a vaccine reaction. Um, and we did IgG through IV a
0: week mm-hmm.
2: a week series and that kind of helped a little bit but mm-hmm. um, it just if you have seizures and you take one medication the likelihood of the second medication is that it will work is fifty percent and then the likelihood of the third medication is fifteen percent so oh, wow. in she was taking all kinds of medications with all kinds of side effects. She was never sleeping, and we were giving her medication in the beginning for that. And I ended up going on a spiritual path because I knew that the neurologist, all he could really do was give her medication, and most of those are barbiturates. Mm-hmm. Um, took medications from all over, the country, from, you know, Mexico. We tried everything. She had one of the worst seizure cases Dr. Minkies um, ever treated. He told me once, and he wrote the books. And, you know, taught the neurologist. So that was a pretty um, shocking statement.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So I really started doing alternative things. You know, I did diet. Um, I did um, all kinds of energy work. I did Reiki. We did sweat lodges. I did prayer groups. I did, you know, meditation, uh, energy healing, um, aromatherapy, and all kinds of microbiotic diets, um, milk-free diets, soy diets. We just, I did everything I could possibly do. And I think overall that probably helped her live so long. I think she would have died um, much earlier. Her pediatrician came in at her funeral and he said, you know, she should have died at three, but she mm. lived to to 15. Um, and I'm in no position to talk about, you know, fate, karma, and healing. I mean, who knows? Um, I think it was her time to go when it when she did. But I think she had a healthier life because I... Did so many things for her, trying to get toxins out of her body and then supplements for her and I think that gave her a much more enjoyable life and the typical autism, you know, recovery, really, vaccine injured children, the recovery program, a lot of it is the, some of the same things that I was doing, you know, 20 years ago, which is interesting. But mm-hmm. people are treating, you know, I think the the thinking moms are treating vaccine injury you know as a medical condition and trying to get the toxins and the mercury and all the other things out of the body and that seems to be giving a lot of kids success but the the challenge with vaccine injury is that you know you have a thousand vaccine injured kids and you treat them in a thousand ways and you almost always get a thousand different results so it's sure. very frustrating for parents and the lack of support in the community is um, you know it's devastating so I'm 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 shocked, and I'm I'm so proud to be part of a group of people who are smart, and we have a lot of brilliant people in this community of vaccinated children, and Brian Hooker being one of them, and talking about the CDC and doing a lot of research, and we're kind of doing it on our own, and and things are changing. I mean, kids are recovering, and kids mm. are getting better. Mm. And I, it's it's an amazing time that we get to connect with so many you know, like-minded people. And now we have, you know, because there's so many vaccine-injured kids, you know, we have lawyers, we have doctors, we have all kinds of, you know, scientists and everybody's kind of speaking up and coming together and, and changing the, what we put in our kids and how we treat our kids and thank God for that because, um, I think it's a very scary time when half of our children are sick and people aren't talking about it. If, if one in 68 children had cancer, this would be all over every news, sure. every paper, everything. But because it's vaccine injury, they're still trying to hide it. And mm-hmm. It's really scary, and I'm so grateful to be able to have a chance to talk about this with you.
1: And then, you know, like I said, what you brought up is it's very important to have important to have a voice. So, you know, to find other people out there that are going through the same struggles that you are going through, and and connecting, you know, it gives you an opportunity to have a louder voice, because sometimes when you're going through something alone, you feel like you're the only one and you can kind of get defeated by it. But, you know, when you're. You, you find people out there, oh, there's another one out there like me, you know, we can do this together, and, and sometimes that's just the little push that you need to make a difference. Um, Karen, I'm curious, because you're there with Lauren day after day. I'm sure Lauren had her good days and her bad days. At Lauren's worst, at her very worst, what what was that like for her?
2: Yeah, um, probably, I don't know, the worst for her and the worst for me. <laughs> <laughs> um she had a lot of surgeries. Uh, I think probably the one of the worst things I did actually was give her steroids, and that was, she screamed constantly when, when I did that. We did that a year after the injury, but that was supposed to help her. Um, she screamed constantly. She was a year or two old um, when we did that. I had to give her a shot twice a day in her leg. She was probably 17 pounds at the time. Um, she had constant seizures um, at the end of her life she started having seizures for a week straight. So uh-huh. I was one day I gave her eight MGs of Ativan in two hours. And that was uh-huh. probably knock you or me out for a week. Um, uh-huh. She had her hips rebuilt and that seemed to be certainly was my lowest low because she was in a cast from her upper chest to her ankles. Um, uh-huh. I couldn't hold her. I could hardly pick her up. She was in great pain. And then when the cast comes off, you're in pain Um but I truly believe that the thing that was the hardest for her was um, when, uh, on a spirit level. I mean, somehow, mm-hmm. physically, I think she came here to do this, and she agreed to it, and she got through it. Um, but I know that the only time I ever really saw her cry um, was when I was hurting myself or being mean to somebody else or really on an emotional level
0: being mm-hmm. toxic.
2: You know, when I wasn't finding my way, I think that was in the her her heartache, you know, was when people really missed it.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
2: And I know her feelings got hurt. She cried when she was in pain, but she broke her femur and she didn't cry. So her pain wow. tolerance was really, really high. But um, I know that emotionally, um, I think she came here to, to teach us all. And I think sometimes when people miss that or... Um, when people discarded the importance of who she was, I think that was probably painful. Um, physically, and you know, for me, giving all of this medication to a, a, my child, um, I was severely broken. I was desperate. Mm. Um, I was suicidal at one point. I was very broken, very much in the dark night of the soul. And you know, I was giving all this medication, and my child was still having seizures, and then I was giving you know, medication because of the side effects from the medication I was giving. It was
0: just Mm. completely
2: madness. But I know that as I found my way and my center and I meditated and I understood the true meaning of why she was here, I think I became a stronger parent and I think that really was the best thing I could do to help her and be strong for her. It was really to take care of myself and be present with what she was going through and quit putting so much pressure on her to be, you know, fixed or healed and just know that she came here to do what she came to do and making sure I made her as comfortable as I could and then having as much fun as we possibly could when she felt well. You
0: mm-hmm. know, when she was
2: sick, she was sick. She almost died many, many times. And she had um, lung dis- you know, she had l- chronic lung disease. So she had pneumonias all the time. and We had an intubator, um, which meant putting a breathing tube down her throat um, until she had the trach. And that was very uncomfortable. But when she was well, we went at it and had as much fun as we possibly could.
1: Truly, truly a source of inspiration on, you know, how to get the best out of life. A lot of us can um, take heed from that. And, uh, you know, like I said, I just, I listen in amazement. You know, most parents generally, you know, concern themselves. Okay, you know, I have to make sure I can feed my child. I make sure I keep a roof over my childhood, childhood, but, so many other issues you know that you had to worry about as a parent to providing for your child in so many you know um, medical emotional ways being that support system and like i said from the very beginning it's just amazing you know that the two of you got through all of that um and and became emotionally better people for that i mean i think that's such a beautiful thing karen we're going to take our a quick commercial break and we'll be right back right after this
2: Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed.
1: Hello, hello, hello. Today I am with Karen Kane. She is the author of A Unique Life Fully Lived. Truly amazing story she's sharing with me today. A beautiful spirit, her daughter Lauren um, got an opportunity to share with us in her 15 years that she was here. Uh, I'm curious because you, you mentioned in the beginning, you know, so many of the effects of the vaccine that Lauren had, she could not communicate what we generally think of as communication. So how did, how did Lauren manage to express herself to you or, or communicate with you?
2: Well, it was really interesting, especially in the beginning, everyone, you know, just said, go home and prepare for the worst. You have a bad ache, you know, kind of get over it. But I just had, I don't know. I was in denial for a long time. (laughs) Um, I think that's a safe place in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just knew that she was in there. She was doing certain things. She didn't like food with lumps. She didn't like cold food. And she would smile every time we would be in our living room where we always would sit. And I just kept working on that. And it I don't even know. I just started treating her like she was normal. I mean, mm-hmm. I would argue with her. I would talk with her I would, <laughs> with her. I would play with her. I would try to stimulate her. And um, I just started bribing her, basically. I she loved chocolate. She loved food, and so I started giving her chocolate and green beans.
1: Of mm-hmm. course, she wanted
2: chocolate. I said, if you want the chocolate, you have to blink. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're getting the green beans. And so I just always talked with her and treated her like she was like any other child. And Very... courage to blink. And then it went from you know chocolate. I bribed her with clothes. With you know she got older. We'd go to Build A Bear, and I would take her in, and I would say, you can have anything you want. But you have to blink, and so I would take her through the whole store and show her, and um, and then I would go back and say, "If you want, you know, do you want this?" and and she would, you know, blink or scowl at me. So she would really start communicating with her expressions. And when she was only four months old, was the first time that someone told me that she communicated to them in dreams.
0: So mm-hmm.
2: When I heard that, I was fascinated by that, and that's a big part of how I got onto my spiritual. Journey Mm -hmm. with her because intuitive people started commentating, coming up to me and talking about Lauren and saying, you know, she's communicating. She's just not communicating with her words. She's talking to me telepathically. And Lauren was famous for her. She still is. She talks to people in their dreams. She tells them all kinds of things. She shows them things. She she talked to Sarah, Lauren's best friend, Um, the night she died.
0: She Mm -hmm. went to Sarah
2: three times and she showed her. At first they were having fun, and then I think she showed her um, the place that we probably call heaven,
0: um, mm-hmm.
2: and she came back and said goodbye. But Lauren has always communicated. She just has done it in a different way. And I wanted, as her mother, I knew that not everyone is intuitive, and so it was very important that she would blink or do thumbs up. We tried to teach her how to curse and give the finger when she was 13. <laughs> so perfect. So we kind of had the one eye, um, but, and when she was at school, we had a wheelchair tray when she was in middle school and we put a picture of Justin Timberlake and a picture of spinach. So, you know, of course, Justin Timberlake was yes. And spinach was no, she
0: didn't
2: like green. And I I just believed and I saw, and I knew that she was in there. She was just, was doing things differently. And I think I just treated her one with respect. I think that's the most important thing we can do with anybody with, Mm-hmm. at any level, um, as have respect for her. And I always dressed her as cute. You know, I dressed her so she would have respect for herself, and she always looked her best. And we were always playful with her wheelchair. We had things hanging on. You know, if somebody wanted to come up and talk to her and didn't know what to say, they could come up and say, well, you know, cute shoes or cute, you know, whatever,
0: mm-hmm. blanket.
2: And, um, and I just really pushed her, and I talked to everyone that was around her, and I said, Lauren understands everything, and you need to make her be responsible for her own decision-making. Um, and the more people respected her, the more she responded to them.
1: Wow, wow, very intuitive as a, as a parent for you to do that. I mean, that's very impressive. Wow. Um, I was reading on your website, you mentioned that Lauren's middle school years were the best part of her life. Why is that?
2: Um, well, one, she never went to school the whole year because she was always sick. And in the beginning, she was catastrophically ill. And then around the age of seven, she started to really thrive and be healthy. And then mm-hmm. we had all these surgeries to, because her body wasn't working. So we had to put a rod in her back and replace her hips, and her tonsils came out. And she had a vagal implant to help her with her seizures. And no one expected her to go to school. And so mm-hmm. I bribed her pediatrician. I, said,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I love Dr. Kendall. I said, Can I bribe you? And he said, No. And I said, With chocolate, <laughs> said maybe. I said, let's leave her in school this year because we kept pulling her out of school for the cold and flu season. I said, mm-hmm. let's leave her in because she's bored with me. She needs to be with friends, and, um, and let's just see what happens. And if she gets sick, I'll pull her. I didn't want to kill her, but I just wanted her to be able to do what everybody else was doing and at that age going to school.
0: Mm-hmm. I also,
2: at that time, Lauren and I set goals every year in January, and we both wanted friendships for her. And she didn't really have that local community friend she was a brownie um, and she went to be a Girl Scout, but she didn't really have that best friend. And we focused on that together. That was our goal. And she ended up, um, I applied for a service dog and she got a service dog from Canine Companions. And we prayed and prayed and prayed about friendships. And I worked really, really hard. Um, and then in seventh grade, Lauren met a group of girls and she had her very first slumber party. Mm -hmm. And I never thought that my daughter would be having a slumber party Mm -hmm. or I would be having a slumber party. And she ended up um, having a bunch of friends, and one of them was Sarah Rivera. And it was just a big process. I write a lot about it in the book about, one, that it was a goal, and then, two, I did everything I could to make sure that Lauren went to all the school dances. She went to the spirit nights. Um, She got as involved as she could in the community. But I just really went above and beyond to try to connect her with that friendship at school. And um, her nurse, Debbie, um, who's an angel, got up in front of the class and said that, you know, Lauren has seizures and she's on medication and she loves chocolate and she loves shopping. She loves Disney Channel and that Lauren was perfectly comfortable with who she was. Mm -hmm. And on that day, some kids asked a bunch of questions about her. And um, then she invited him to come in the class. And five girls came in that day. And for the rest of the time, Lauren's at middle school, before school, to see if Lauren, what was Lauren was wearing and make sure she was awake. They came in at break. They came in at lunch. And they came in after school. They applied to work in the class. And, um, and Lauren started having friends. And my, my phone that was by my side, always waiting for that emergency 911 call, Became the phone call was called the cute question of the day. And Debbie
0: said,
2: <laughs> "Do you want to hear what the girls want to know? The girls want to know this and how does she shower and how do you like her and and what does she like to you know watch on TV?" And then one day um, Debbie said, "The girls want to know if Lauren's ever had a sleepover." And I said, "No." Do you think they want to have one? And she said, "Yes, I think they do." So we had our first sleepover, and from then on we had sleepovers and we played. Guitar Hero and Halo and watched scary movies and ate pizza, and Lauren went to camp with Sarah. We went to camp twice with Sarah. We went to Disneyland and went to the movies all the time, and all the girls would come over, and we'd have parties, and our life just became the funnest, and I know for Lauren it was fun, and she had to learn how to have friends, and sometimes she would fall asleep, and I would say, you can't sleep, you have friends. it was overwhelming for her because she had never had so much attention and so much unconditional love and the kids didn't care about Lauren's disabilities. They didn't even actually tell their parents. The first time um, one of the parents came over for a sleepover, I saw the shock on the mom's face when she walked in. there. There's my little girl with a trach and a G-tube and a
0: wheelchair
2: mm-hmm. having so much go on. And I just thought, Oh, these girls didn't tell their parents. They, mm-hmm. they were going to Lauren's, you know, she's in a wheelchair and they did, they just got past her disability. And they loved her, and they got her on Facebook, and they put inappropriate music on Facebook. And, <laughs> or it was my favorite something back her. in the day. But it was just, they just saw her, you know, Sarah Rivera. I asked her, I said, you know, what is it about Lauren? And she said, I don't know why everyone thinks it's such a big deal that we're friends. She liked everything I did, and we had a lot in common. And she just did things differently, They're completely Unfazed by her many disabilities, and um, I, it just was beautiful in so many different ways. And um, and when she died, they um, Sarah contacted me and she wanted to have a sweet sixteen party for her. And she put on Facebook. She said, "I have an idea. I want to have a party for Lawrence sweet sixteen, and I get the spot on her bed because she's holding it for me." Aww. And so we ended up having a party with all her friends, and we just celebrated life and. You just can't make that stuff up. I think that we as adults need to pave the way and open doors, and we need to let children come and be part of life and its uniqueness and complications, and they just don't see it. They just wanted the same things Lauren did. They just want to have fun and have a safe place to go and tell secrets and make prank phone calls at the time, and, you know, <laughs> and I'm, still, I'm still good friends with Sarah. Um, and I see some of the other kids, you know, we're not as close, but um, even in high school, Lauren had another group of friends, and um, there's something about exuding love and just being peaceful and comfortable with who you are. People are either afraid of that or they're attracted to it. And with Lauren, when you got to know her and you understood how courageous and how loving and how powerful her light shined so bright, it's very, it's very attracting. And I (laughs) think that more than anything is just having the energy of unconditional love constantly in my home.
1: Wow. And, you you know, you think about, you know, not only the impact that Lauren had on you, but now, like her, you said, her friend Sarah. I mean, just the the woman that Sarah will now grow into be because she had that experience of Lauren. And, um, you know... I mean, that's just invaluable. I mean, you can't trade that for anything, how your daughter has managed to touch the people around them. And, you know, years and years later, you know, they'll say, you know, thanks to Lauren. I'm who I am now today. And I mean, that is such a such a beautiful um, legacy that she has left behind. Karen, we are going to take our very last break of the day. When we come back, we're going to talk about the book and what you've got going on. So stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed.
1: Hello, hello. Welcome back. Today, I am with Karen Kane, very inspirational woman, author of the book A Unique Life Fully Lived, and uh, we have been talking about her her beautiful spirit daughter, Lauren. Now, Karen, um, you have this book, A Unique Life Fully Lived. Did you write it? after Lauren passed, or was it something that you were doing in the process of your journey?
2: I started writing um, literally just to cope and save my sanity. And people kept saying, you should write because this is a crazy story, a lot of drama. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I learned to get away from the drama. But in the beginning, I was very much into the drama because I didn't know any better. And I just kept writing and writing. And um, I, I feel that it's my sole commitment to do this part of the work. I mean, Lauren came here and she, you know, put up with this body and she taught me and so many others, um, great life lessons of love and courage. And I feel like at the time, especially when I was going through the dark, dark times, I felt like I was supposed to share that experience. So other parents wouldn't have to go through it. And then if parents are going through the dark night of the soul, know that they can come out and and enjoy life. I mean, Lauren and I had a great life together amongst all of our challenges and I still today, you know, without having any other children, which is, of course, um, Mm heart-wrenching, I still enjoy my life, and I think it's a choice, and I think sometimes suffering is a choice, and I really want to encourage parents to understand the importance of all of our children, no matter their abilities, and Lauren is, you know, probably the worst-case scenario of, of any, you know, person in a body that seems so broken, but a soul that is so powerful, and so I... I felt like it was my my giving back to her, to other families, and I feel like I just want to be able to, to let this story shine and, and all of its truth, and I'm a very honest writer. I don't sugarcoat anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a really great privilege to talk to parents and encourage them to look deep into the beauty of the of their children and why they're here and what they're here to teach us because it doesn't have to be a perfect experience i think some of the greatest people that i know have a lot of adversity and have have Mm gone through a lot and it it actually makes them much more enjoyable people deeper people more beautiful and you know i think it's what we're here to do we're here to learn and we're here to not get so caught up in the physical body but the soul and the life experience and the lessons that we're here to learn
1: true true i have i've truly learned that lesson doing this show um that uh You become a better person through adversity, so I I feel you on that one. Now, the book, A Unique Life Fully Lived, where can people pick up a copy of it?
2: Um, We're at um, Amazon, and you can also pick up at KarenKane.com and that's karenkain, K-A-I-N.com. I also have a website, and that's Lauren's World, and it's spelled L-O-R-R-I-N-S, world.com. This weekend, I'll be in Portland on um, Saturday at 7 at the New Renaissance Bookstore, and then on Sunday at the Barnes & Noble in Beaverton, Oregon. Next um, next weekend, the weekend of the 27th, 28th, and 29th, I'll be in Chicago talking to families at the Abilities Expo, and I travel around the U.S. and talk to families all over at the AbilitiesExpo.com, and um, I'm on Facebook. I have a unique Life Fully Lived Facebook page and a Karen Kane page, and I, you know, my goal is to just talk to parents and remind them to take care of themselves so they can enjoy their child. And I think when we do our best to take care of our spirits, it keeps us, um, you know, present with our children and we're able to, you know, get to know and trust our intuition so we can make those decisions that are so are so difficult of our children. You know, I never wanted to make Most of the decisions I had to make with Lauren, but when I got in touch with who I was and what she was here to do and accepted her and took care of myself, I think I became such a better parent to her.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now, I want to ask you a question. Um, The 15 years that Lauren uh, shared with you, um, it took up a lot of your energy, a lot of your time. Um, It had to be draining. So after Lauren's physical presence left you, uh, what was life for Karen like after that?
2: It's very interesting. The first couple of days, I was actually really energized, and um, she was very, very sick at the end. In January 2009, she told me she was ready to go in a dream. She came and told me it was time to go. This is the mm-hmm. first time she told me that, but it took her um, almost a whole year. So it was December 22nd when she passed away. For the first three days, um, I think I didn't get out of bed for three days, and then I spilt water all over my bed, and I laughed. I'm like, okay, Lauren, I'll get up.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
2: You know, it was such a hard thing because when she was so sick, I didn't want to see her in pain. And I tried really to be courageous during this and to be, you know, as strong as I could. And I wanted her to die um, with, gracefully as she lived. Um, but really, the first year was a blur. Um, I, and I thought that I knew what I was doing. But of course, <laughs> who was I if I wasn't her mother? Um, so I just kind of floated around. I traveled, I traveled quite a bit. And um, feeling the freedom was very nice, of course, not having to um, take care of someone 24-7, especially when they're really, really sick. is a very painful process. Um, And then I started to really try to figure out who I am, and it's been four years, and Mm -hmm. I'm still growing and learning, and I live every day um, knowing that I'm here for a reason, and um, I want to do the best I can do to make her proud Um, so her life will not be lived in vain. And I just want to share um, just the strength and the love and our soul commitment with other families so they'll know that, you know, our life was very different, but I'm very proud that she picked me. It was an honor being her parent, and it was a very difficult thing. But, you know, it was kind of the lowest lows and the highest highs. I felt that I really got to live and truly grow deeply um, as a person taking care of her and just being open and really witnessing what she came here to show me and to teach me and just trying. I really just wanted to learn everything that she had to teach me because I didn't want to have her, you know, do what I thought was suffering in this body that was broken. And what I learned was just, I don't know, I'm just really proud of who I am today and I'm honored to be her mother. I miss her every day, of course, but I feel connected. Um, and, you know, she said, you know, mom, life is but a coffee break. So I try to have fun, and I try not to get too caught up in myself. And I think that it's my, my part of our journey, my commitment to us is to share the story, and I hope that it helps families in numerous ways. Um, and so that's what I'm doing today. And who knows what I'll be doing next year. And I, I love it, and I love meeting families, and um, and it's just a great honor. It's a great privilege to see so many amazing families and to meet so many kids that are so brave to come here to teach us, you know, it's truly, it's truly a lessons of love when our kids come here and they pick these bodies to teach us higher realms of, of understanding.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. I think a lot of people look at it like um, I'm a parent. I'm supposed to teach my child, but they don't understand that quite often it's the children that teach and leave an impact on the parent. So it's, it's beautiful that you've learned that lesson. Um, before we get out of here, I want to ask you, now that you have been through all of this, um, what, what do you feel about or what advice would you give to parents in regards to vaccinations?
2: I think people should educate, educate, educate. You can go to Lauren's World. You can go to Karen Kane. There's the Thinking Moms Revolution. Um, you don't have to look far now to find out information about vaccinations. Um, I think parents shouldn't be bullied um, in the doctor's offices. I think they need to understand that the pharmaceutical company is a you know over 22 billion dollar a year industry, and our kids are sick. Um, and you know that goes with GMOs. Everything we put into our children and everything we put into our bodies is important and they need to really look at the statistics i would suggest um googling brian hooker Um, Mm -hmm. you don't have to go far to find out his information and you know you can contact me i have a vaccine awareness page um do your research and find out really what's going on and um, i think we should all get very serious about what's happening to our kids our kids are sick And it's, I think, a big part of what we've been putting into them for a long time. And I think vaccines is a big part of that. Um, And I think my nieces, they're all having babies and they aren't unvaccinated. They're some of the smartest, healthiest babies around. Um, Most of the babies that I see that are very, very healthy have not been vaccinated and they're breastfed. And it's the old-fashioned way of keeping our babies healthy. And um, I think people should really educate before. And then... If you're going to choose a vaccine, why would you put six vaccines into an infant of three months?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That, that just, I mean, if you're going to make a choice, don't go in and just give them everything at once. I don't know. I have a parent who has a 16-year-old boy and they gave him eight vaccines and he's a totally different kid now. Why would wow. you do that with anything? Um, educate, educate and ask questions. Ask me, contact me, contact, you know, the Think You Moms Revolution, the Canary Party, um autism one, the age of autism, I mean, you just don't have to look far to find out. Um, we're all affected by autism. And really, that's vaccine injury for the most part. Not all of it, but a lot of it.
1: OK, Please, Good tip. Good tips. Do your homework. Do your homework. Now you are um, I do want to make sure I re-mention this. You are the national ambassador for the Abilities Expo and it travels to different cities. The next uh, time somebody can catch up with you at an expo is what city and what day?
2: Chicago at the Schomburg Convention Center, June 27th, 28th, and 29th, and then um, you can go to AbilitiesExpo.com. I'll be in Houston after that and San Jose after that, and, um, and I'm speaking at some other events at the other parts of the year, but the, that's coming up. And um, contact me. Email me. Contact me on Facebook. I'm really approachable.
0: I love,
2: to- <laughs> love to talk, and... Um, and, of course, Portland, Oregon, this weekend, I'll be at the Renaissance Bookstore and I'll also be at the Barnes & Noble on Sunday.
1: Good stuff, good stuff. It has been a pleasure, Karen, spending this hour with you. You are truly a de- delightful and inspirational person. So um, just thank you for spending time with me. My guest today has been Karen Kane. Please, please, please visit her website, karenkane.com. That's Karen with, and then Kane with the K, K-A-I-N. And, Karen, what is Lauren's website?
2: Is Lauren's World, L-O-R-R-I-N-S World dot com. And thank you so much. I've really
1: enjoyed this. Mm -hmm. Thank you for spending time with me and continued continued success on your journey. Just beautiful, beautiful person. That is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember, when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There is always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed. And I'll see you next week.